Welcome to the Hunt League Podcast, where we share hunting stories from the field that help pave the way for others to follow. This is your host, Jared Newman. Let's get started. All right, welcome to today's podcast. I have Josh Dishman from the great state of Oregon. Man, we've had a lot of big activity with Hunt League in the state of Oregon. Just finished a podcast with Casey Holmgren, the lioness from last year. Many of you guys know Garrett Weaver, uh, who won the Western Hunter last year, who's also hosting the On Point Experience. He's been on several podcasts. We even had Grayson McBride, Last year, the 2021 Outdoorsman of the Year, all from Oregon. So somehow we keep finding ourselves back in Oregon. So today I'm introducing you to Josh Dishman, Chasing Tales Outdoors. So uh, Josh, welcome to the Hunt League Podcast. Love for you to get started by just telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in hunting. Give us a little bit of your hunting background. Well, like I say, I'm Josh Dishman. I'm 41 years old. I've lived in Oregon my whole life and... uh, I owe a lot of my hunting experience and stuff to, from my cousins that took me hunting because my dad wasn't around. So I appreciate everything that they taught me and it kind of gave me the jump start. And then also Trent from Born and Raised Outdoors, which told me to take this to the next limit. So that's what I'm trying to do. You know, blacktail is our passion. That's what we love doing, but we love all hunting. So, so how old were you when you got into hunting? Basically, I was in diapers. Uh, you know, riding, riding around, but my first deer was when I was nine years old and I've managed to take a deer every year since then. Every year since you were nine years old, you're 41. Yeah. Have you been known to take more than one deer in a year? No, you're only allowed usually one deer. I mean, they got doe tags that you can get, but, uh, usually I don't apply for any doe tags or anything, but usually just one buck tag. Okay. So you're, you're a deer a year guy. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever hunted any other states? Uh, we're looking forward to hopefully hunting Wyoming this year. Uh, we just sent off for antelope and mule deer. So crossing our fingers, we'll find out something the 16th. Now, will this be your first uh, out-of-state hunt that you've ever done? Yeah. So 41 years old, you started hunting in Oregon at the age of nine, and you have taken a deer every single year. Any off years? I mean, it feels like... That's a ridiculous streak. Have you ever had a year where you didn't harvest one? No. Unbelievable. Okay. Oregon has both mule deer and blacktail. You're hunting the coast. I've heard your passion is blacktail deer. So you've got to be on the western side of Oregon. Have you ever hunted mule deer in Oregon? Yeah, I have. Okay. So some of your years have been blacktail. Some have been mule deer, correct? Yeah. Yeah. A couple mule deer, but the rest have been been, uh, blacktail. Now, does Oregon have any whitetail? We do have whitetail. It's a few tags that they they do put out for uh, the Columbia whitetail. Okay, that's what I thought. Now, tell me a little bit about blacktail hunting. That's what you got into. Was that the first type of hunt that you were introduced to? Yep. Yeah, when I when I was 12 years old, you know, basically myself with my uncle, you know, the old lever action 30-30. Come on now. Yeah, that's that's what started it and I I've, I've just been doing it every year. I mean, back then it was a challenge. You know, you really had to work for it. Uh, to me now, I, I just love sitting in glass. And even if even if I don't shoot nothing, you know, I just sit there and watch them. And I did that a lot with the bears this year, you know. Yeah. So what other species do you hunt in Oregon? Uh, I hunt elk, uh, bear, and blacktail. Do you do any waterfowl, small game? Uh, pre- like, I, I guess predator is bear, but do you ever hunt? Have you ever hunted mountain lion or anything like that? I usually don't, but. You know, like I say, we drop a lot of cameras and usually out of all of our cameras, about half of them have, have cats on them. So I think it's time to start. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me, is Oregon a, a hound state where you can use hounds to, to hunt or no? We used to be, I think the early 2000s when they did away with hound hunting. Okay. Uh, so now our, our predators, they're, they're out of control between cats and bears. I mean... It's, there's a lot of predators, that's for sure. Yeah, I've seen a few studies recently showing some of the mortality rate connected to fawning elk and deer. And I mean, there's certain pockets of Washington and Oregon where over 75% don't make it through the first year, you know, and most of that is attributed to, you know, predation from big cats and bears, which is just crazy to me that 
You know, yeah. I mean, that, that's an actual, I mean, that's a real problem. You can't lose 75% of your population and expect the population to rebound. Yeah. And then on top of, you know, we've been having quite a big uh, wildfires lately. It's been uh, just kind of burning up everything. When you first signed up in the app, I got a message from Garrett Weaver and he was like, you have no idea who just joined this Josh chasing tails. He was like, this guy is a killer. Like he gets after it every year. That was, that was his words to me. I didn't know you. And, uh, I think I sent you a message, uh, in, inside the app and was like, Hey man, welcome, welcome to the app. And I asked you a few questions and I think you sent me something saying that you had participated in 13 or so successful blacktail hunts last year. Is am I yeah. am I off? Is it 13? Is that a real number? That's a real number. And then we took uh, 12 the year before. So you took you really did you took 13? And I know you get one single tag, so that's one yourself. Yeah. But you were a part of taking 12 other people out and finding success in the woods. Yep. That was 13 blacktails last year. 12 the year before. Yep. All blacktail. That's like incredibly high. So in order for somebody to take people out and find that kind of success, that is pretty off the charts. That must mean you're spending quite a bit of time understanding blacktail, watching them, you know, patterning. Even if you're following a single bachelor herd, you might shoot two or three out of that group. But then it's like, man, you got to find multiple groups. So you must have eyes on hundreds of deer in order to harvest 12. How much time are you spending in the woods? Uh, A lot. <laughs> Uh, like I say, I usually, I usually start pre-scouting in April, uh, if I ain't spring bear hunting, but even then I'm still finding myself wandering, looking at deer because, you know, they're obviously out and I'm, I love blackdale. So <laughs> I find myself looking at bears or looking for bears and then I'll find myself looking at blackdale. So, but yeah, I usually start in April. We'll start dropping cameras, doing our pre-scout. Then we'll put in lots, lots of walking miles. I mean, dropping cameras in deep canyons. I mean, just to see what lives there. If nothing lives there, we'll pull a camera and put it somewhere else. Uh, a lot of glassing, like I say, a lot of pre-scouting. I mean, I'm, I'm up there all day, every day on the weekends. It seems like, uh, my wife doesn't like it too much, but <laughs> well, I'd imagine you know. that. So when you say all day, every day, weekends, how many days of the week do you think you actually spend in the woods? I would say on a given year, probably close to 200 and something days in the woods. Now, <laughs> when you say, I mean, that's crazy. When you say 200, is that, is that, you know, after work you drop in for an hour cause you can just walk into your backyard or when you count a day of scouting, what does that what does that actually look like when you say 200 days is that three plus hours of those 200 days or is that well it, it could be half days and i'll count that as a day uh usually i get off you know i get off work at four and 10 minutes 10 minutes from my house and i'm in the mountain so you know i'll go up till dark and you know every day after work saturday sunday you know i'm i'm, I'm in the woods now does your wife go with you she does she does go with me uh like she went with me bear hunting, but she kind of got bored because we sat there for quite a long time and <laughs> she kind of gets pretty bored, but she, she loves hunting too. And do you have any kids? I do have a, a son that's uh, 19 and he's into hunting and fishing too. So, okay. Does he go out with you very often or has he moved off to college or work or something like that where now you guys uh, don't he, get to go as much? He's. He still lives at home, but he, he does have a full-time job. But right now, springers are in the river, so he's been uh, fishing a lot while I've been spring bear hunting. So, You took out several people last year. I want to know a little bit about what fuels your passion for mentoring other hunters. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, just, just taking a first-time hunter out and uh, watching them succeed. And, uh, or even if they don't, don't, don't succeed, is just, you know, watching them get the passion with you, I guess I should say. It's it's a lot of fun, you know. Even if they don't succeed, they're still having fun, still seeing deer. You know, sometimes we'll see up to 100 deer a day. You never know, depending on where we're at. It's just what fuels me is just, just taking people that have never done it. 
Okay, so you're probably like every outfitter and guides like worst nemesis because people start to recognize they can just call Josh and you'll take them to the woods and they'll they'll find success. And uh, yeah, for free. Yeah, and so you don't you don't professionally guide, but you're spending, I mean, April through December in the woods scouting, learning about these animals, knowing where what their patterns are, what they're eating, where they're living. Um, and then you're sharing that knowledge and taking that experience with you and helping other people find success. This will be the first year that you're in the hunt league app where I'll get to see like a blacktail season. When you're going to the field right now, are you logging your scouts in the hunt league app? Uh, I just started the other day. I, I think I did a couple blacktail, but I wasn't real sure what I was doing in the beginning. Sure you know, once I got the bear thing kind of figured out, but yeah, now I'll start really kind of, you'll be, you'll be going in some deep canyons with me, dropping camera cameras for sure. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about blacktail hunting. I don't know. I've never hunted blacktail. I've seen a few blacktail, like, you know, when I've been on the coast, so I, I've seen them. I know nothing about their habits, nothing about their patterns. I've never spent any time scouting them, you know, through, you know, the spring into summer into fall. Tell me a little bit about what makes a blacktail such a unique deer. What is it about that deer that you're so passionate about? Well, a lot of it boils down to is, you know, you can watch them in the spring. Of course, they're all bachelored up. So you get to watch them grow just to see what they start growing. is kind of, kind of pretty cool to watch. But when it gets into pre-rut, stuff like that, that's when it gets pretty fun. You know, you're trying to outsmart something that's way smarter than you are. I mean, that's, it boils down to it. They can, they can vanish in a blink of an eye. You know, they can, a lot of the big bucks are either nocturnal. You either going to see them right at daylight or you'll never see them again. I don't know. It's, it's something that's so camouflaged in the wild. It's not like a bear where you're just staring at a, a unit and all of a sudden, oh, there's a big black spot. Now you're looking for maybe just a little fork in a, uh, of his horn through a, you know, a reprod tree or, you know, you're, you're glassing a mile and a half away trying to spot something, you know, to me, it's, it's a lot of fun. How many cameras are you running? Usually around 12 to 13. So you're running 12 to 13 cameras. How often do you check those cameras and how often are you moving cameras around? Uh, it depends, uh, depends on how far they are apart. I mean, some of them could be 50 miles, you know, I try to set them, you know, way in different drainages and stuff like that, but you can try to check a couple and then, you know, kind of keep it on a two or three week cycle. So you're constantly checking cameras that are spread apart enough because you don't want to just dive right in there after you just dropped them in there for two days. When you're setting cameras, are you setting those cameras specifically for deer? I, you try to, but usually the bears will find them. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do you capture on your cameras throughout the year? Uh, usually elk, bear, cougars, bobcats, foxes, you, just about everything that wanders out there. Yeah. Uh, when, when does your season kick off? Blacktail is usually October. And then and is like October year, the start of rifle season? Is that is that the yeah. start? Is, when is when is the archery season for blacktail? Uh, usually the last weekend of August. If you wanted to potentially get an archery tag, you would do that at the end of August. You know, rifle season kicks off in October, which is usually about when you get started. Is there a muzzleloader season in Oregon? There is. It's uh, usually in December. So usually when they're pretty rutted up and you can usually find the big ones standing right in the road. Or <laughs> If you had to time based on just your experience – when year over year do you seem to believe that the blacktail are kind of in that full rut? Oh, they're definitely in the full rut in December, but they come into a pretty good pre-rut, I would say, right at the end of deer season, if we get the weather. Uh, if we get some snow or bad rain or cold weather come in, usually last week, or sorry, first week of November is when the deer season ends. And usually that week is usually... It's usually game on. Yeah, when things really start to get hot. Yeah. You've said you've been hunting since you were nine years old. You're 41. You've harvested a deer every year. What keeps you motivated? At this point, I'm guessing you're not just going out trying to keep the streak alive, but are you looking for a specific deer? Do you do you kind of have specific target deer that you're chasing? Do you kind of have a rule of thumb internally that – you'll shoot any buck and that's why you've been able to successfully harvest deer year over year or 
Is there a specific class of buck that you're looking to harvest every year? Uh, me personally, I, it depends on how empty the freezer is. I'll shoot any buck, but uh, usually that'll come towards the end. I'll usually try to hold out for a bigger, mature buck. Luckily, I've been fortunate enough. I think the past 12 or 13 years, I've managed to take four points, black tails. So to me, it's just the luck of the draw. You know, everybody's always, I don't understand how you shoot these four points all the time. It's like, oh. The freezer was empty and it was the first one standing there. So I just got lucky. <laughs> well, <laughs> lucky is one thing, but when you're spending as much time in the woods as you are, you're probably putting yourself in proximity to some of the places where you know that there have been four pointers there. How many yeah. of the deer that you, maybe you say, you know, the last 12 years or so you've shot four pointers. How many of the deer that you've shot in the last 12 years would you say you had on camera before you were able to harvest them? Well, Camera wise, we just started doing that here the past few years. So a lot of the prior bucks were just what it boiled down to is just glass your heart out, you know, pull up to a big, big, big unit and, you know, glass it from every point you could possibly glass it. And usually those big canyons that nobody wants to go in, that's, that's where I'll shoot one because I'm the only stupid one that'll go down there and get it. (laughs) (laughs) The only good thing about doing that is it doesn't weigh seven or 800 pounds like your elk so you can at least get a blacktail out if you shoot it in a deep nasty canyon yeah you've just been running cameras in the last few years but prior to that you know i'm assuming that you were still out glassing all throughout you know your your spring summer into fall which would kind of prepare you you know for the season would you still say that the majority of the deer that you've taken the last few years you've seen prior to the start of the season yeah, usually once I start seeing the bucks in certain units, I'll definitely go back and continue to watch those units, you know, to make sure they're still there. And even if it's not me harvesting one of them, I know somebody that will go with me and do it. You know, so I'm constantly watching watching deer in multiple, multiple units. Give me an idea of what kind of elevation ranges you're hunting out there. Uh, I'm roughly anywhere from probably 1500 to 3500 feet so you're not anywhere where you're up in snow or you know getting above tree line everything that you're hunting is kind of those uh coastal mountains that are pretty temperate yeah log units stuff like that if, if somebody's just getting started i mean there's going to be a lot of hunters from the state of oregon that have not seen anywhere near the success that you have if somebody is really wanting to get started blacktail hunting what are some of the things, you know, the words of wisdom, advice, and experience that you would offer? Because it's rare that I would ever have the opportunity to talk with somebody that's had a run like what you've had of success, and not just your own personal success, but to be able to take as many people as you do. You have a wealth of knowledge and experience that some of the stuff that is just as natural as breathing to you is going to be revolutionary for somebody else that just doesn't have that experience. So. Give us some of the tips and things that you've learned through the years of what you believe has helped you become a better blacktail hunter. I definitely would say uh, the first one is be patient. I see it numerous times where I'll pull up to a unit and there'll already be somebody glassing it. You know, they've either just pulled up before I got there and, you know, they'll glass for five minutes, 10 minutes and leave. So the biggest thing I find success in blacktail is spending the time to actually pick that unit apart. It may take an hour, may take two hours, but spend the time to actually look that unit over because they can hide anywhere. And if it's a, if it's a unit that you can glass from multiple positions, I always call it the angle of the dangle. You know, always get that angle of the dangle because, you know, where you're sitting at the first spot, you know, if you go down quarter mile down the road and glass back, you know, it could be standing there. You'd never seen it from the first spot. <laughs> so that's the angle of the dangle. What does the dangle mean to you? It's just the blind spot or what? The angle, the dangle. Uh, uh, to me, I don't know. I just made it up and it's, you know, just the angle, the dangle. I like it. I hope right. I actually see other hunt league accounts. Like when they, when they drop some stuff from their scouts this year where they say, man, I'm glad I checked the angle of the dangle. Cause there it was. <laughs> <laughs> we'll coin that uh, chasing tails outdoors angle of the dangle. Okay. That's tip number one, the angle of the dangle. Keep going. Like I say, just, just be persistent. 
don't give up because a lot of people, you know, I, well, I just, we just ain't seen no deer, or, you know, you just got to be persistent and keep going. That's the biggest thing too. It's a lot of the people that actually called even Garrett called me this, this season. And he said he was having a hard time finding a blacktail. And I said, well, I'll go to this spot, you know, and sure enough, he went there, and, you know, found success. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody, you know, Let's talk about equipment for a second. As you go in and you're sitting down to glass, you're going to sit for an hour or two hours. That's actually a really long time for somebody to sit in glass. Because if anybody has had experience glassing, you know, you, you can get headaches and eye fatigue and all sorts of stuff. What do you do? What's your setup that enables you to be able to sit in glass the way that you do? Definitely is good, having a good set of binoculars. That's, that's, that's what I believe in. I mean... I got a pair of Sig Zulu 9, uh, 11 by 45 binoculars. Love them. No headaches. I mean, I can glass, you know, just like bear season, you know. We sat on some landings for five, six hours and we'll glass. No headaches whatsoever. Now, are you glassing from a tripod? No, actually a trigger stick. Do you find that you intentionally grid search an area or do you... Do you just kind of glass where your eyes tell you to go? Do you have any specific system when you sit down to glass? Yeah, it all depends on what type of unit you pull up to. After doing it for so long, you can kind of look at that unit and, okay, if I was a deer, that's where I'd be. And that's where I'll look first, which is either in a little patch of reprod or right on the timber line or in a creek bottom type thing. And that's going to come from just years of experience because you've seen deer in terrain like that. So when you go into new terrain... The first thing that you do is you just scan it and look for things that look like that's something that looks familiar to me where I would typically see a deer. So that's what you're going to draw your eyes and attention to first. Yeah. All right. So we're talking about a little bit about equipment. You mentioned using the SIG Zulu 9 binoculars. Do you use a spotting scope or do you primarily do. rely on your binoculars? I usually just straight up use my binoculars, but then I'll, you know, phone scope off my spotting scope uh, so we can really zoom in to see if it's, you know, something that we want to shoot or if somebody's passing by, hey, there's deer down here. You want to shoot it? And, you know, we'll let them shoot it. When you set up for glassing, are you driving your truck to like a landing and then just walking out and <laughs> kind of setting up shop? Or are you finding yourself like parking and then hiking in? you know, to get to a glassing spot, what does that look like for you? A lot of it is, uh, you're just driving right to a landing. There's, there's so many, so many logging roads in Oregon that it's hard to really, unless you're in, you know, some warehouse or something where you can actually walk in because of gates or something. But where I typically hunt, you know, there's, there's roads going everywhere. So you're, you're basically hopping from landing to landing, you know, just shooting on down the road, trying to glass as many units as you can. Gotcha. Now you started with a 3030. What has changed with your equipment? I mean, I'm sure you've got a different setup, optics, caliber. Walk me through what you use right now and how things have changed over time. Yeah, I, I got two what I call long range rifles. I got one that's a 338 Ultra Mag. It's my thousand yard gun. It's got a Leopold scope, uh, six by 24 power with the target knobs on it and it's throwing out a 300 grain chunk of lead uh my two my two <laughs> in case acne, a water buffalo comes by you're ready it it, it is but it, i'll tell you what it's it, it's a big caliber but it's it's fun to shoot it kicks like a 243 man it's you can put 60 rounds through it and won't even leave a mark on your shoulder now is that because the gun is more like a bench gun it's a heavy heavy gun it's it's heavy i think it weighs around 17 pounds or something like that so it's it's definitely one you pull out of your truck shoot and then you put it back in your truck because you ain't packing it down the unit okay that makes <laughs> sense because i'm like how is it not kicking and leaving a mark unless you just you know th that's a turret gun you can set it up on a turret and shoot and then be done <laughs> Uh, yeah, my other one's a 280 Ackley Improved, which is another long-range gun, but I kind of use it as my mid-range. Uh, anything 600 below, I'll pull that out, but anything 600 and above, I'll use my 338 on. Okay, and uh, what do you have mounted on top of your Ackley 280? It's a, it's a Leopold Berry X6, so with the target knobs on it. So, and Are you shooting MOA or MIL? Uh, MOA. When did you build out both of those guns? Is that in the last few years? Yeah. What were you using before that? Uh, the old 300 Win Mag. My wife bought me back when we first got together. It was uh, Old Faithful. It's one of those guns that 
they like to kill. You could point it to the left and you'd shoot a deer on the right. It's just, it's just one of those guns. That you, you <laughs> it know, just found it the just, target for you. It, it's what it seemed like, you know, you could always rely on it, but now I handed that down to my son. So, and how long have you been shooting long range? Uh, I really got into it probably say probably seven, eight years ago. We always shot longer range, but it was more of the aim high type stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Cause you, you've been hunting since you were nine, you've been successful for many years when you're nine, starting out with a 30, 30, a 30, 30 is not really meant to be a 400 yard gun. I mean, there's a lot of people that can obviously shoot at 400 yards with that, but you know, again, like we called them kind of a brush gun back home. And then if we wanted to shoot a longer range that we used a 308 or 30-06. And when we were considering longer range at that time, longer range was, was 200, 300 and 400 yards. And a 400 yard shot just seemed like that was an out of this world shot. Like I can't believe somebody would even take that shot. Now with the new scopes, the the rifles, the barrels, all the technology that's come out in the last few years have really made long range shooting accessible for the everyday hunter. So you've gotten into it in the last seven or eight years. I've just recently started building setups that can actually shoot at that range. You know, this week I was putting on one of those new Arkin scopes and it's a six to 24 power, you know, 50 millimeter objective. If I would compare that scope to any scope I used growing up, I mean, it's like, it looks like two or three times the size. It's, it's heavier. You know, it's got the big turrets on it. Everything that I used growing up was these little slender, you know, a three by nine scope was, I I think the 3030, we ended up putting a scope on it and it was a, I think it was a one to four power scope, man, look at this magnification. You can, you can actually see the target at a hundred yards and pull the trigger. And that was, I mean, that was modern (laughs) technology back then that, and that was a four X Tasco scope, you know? (laughs) Yeah. A lot of my guns back at back then, it was all three by nine scopes. Yeah. I never did have anything above that. But now it's like what the 24 power scope, it's like, you know, you can really zoom in on them out there at seven, 800 yards away. It's, it's crazy with the technology. I mean, you just, you just range it, set your knob, pull the trigger, no guessing game no more. So how much time did you spend behind your gun before you felt comfortable taking shots at 500 and 600 yards? Like what, what did you do to kind of get proficient at different ranges, you know, to be able to know like, all right, it's 600 yards. I want to dial this much versus 800 yards. I want to dial this much. And it's not just going off of like what an app or the math says it's, I mean, how much time did you spend behind the gun before you started feeling comfortable and confident taking that kind of shot? Well, first of all, it, it took a lot of, a lot of work to even get the bullet worked up, you know, cause I, I hand reload everything. So when you first buy a gun that you're reloading for, it takes a lot of work to even get that bullet to even where you want it. Cause you got to find the powder charge, you know, so you're going through numerous bullets, trying to find the right powder charge for it. What's going to shoot great. And then it boils down to what type of bullets you're shooting. You know, if you're running burger bullets, you know, you can go on there and print out a, a burger ballistic chart that will get you into the ballpark of uh, getting close. And then you can work it from there. Okay. You know, so you might have to. talk to me as a, somebody that has never reloaded. I've only bought ammo from the store. I've never invested in reloading equipment. A big part of the reason why is the last several years. I've almost exclusively done archery hunting for big game. You're pretty limited in Colorado where you kind of either get an archery tag or a rifle tag, you know, through the years, probably every two to three years, I'll do a rifle hunt for a deer. I've never done a rifle hunt for an elk. So I have not spent the time behind a rifle that many other people have done. I'm starting to get more into that because I'd like to do more antelope. I'd like to do more bear. There's a couple species that I would like to start hunting with a rifle and even doing just coyote and predator hunting. I'd like to be more proficient where taking a shot at 400 yards isn't as intimidating as it is for me right now. So walk me through a little bit of the process when you're saying like, you know, building a bullet and getting that set up. How did you discover that? And what is the testing methodology that you kind of go through before you feel like this is what I'm selecting to be my hunting caliber powder bullet combination? Like I say, it took, I would say, easy hunter grounds when I first started uh, to figure out the powder charge. Uh, 
you know, you start, like if you go on to the website for reloading and stuff, they'll tell you the maximum powder charge. Well, a lot of the times you exceed that by several, several uh, grains, but that's their safety, you know. So you start at their max and once you get the C or the, the powder charge figured out, you know, it could vary. It could be one to two grains over that, or it could be three to four grains below that, you know, so you're constantly fighting with the, the powder charge and then you go with your seating depth now you got to find out where the bullet lies in your lands which is the riflings of your gun and you know you might have to back that off 20 thousands off the lands or you might have to go in 10 thousands off off the lands you never know that's crazy precision that you're talking about so you're getting into absolute minute details yeah and you have the ability with the equipment that you have to be able to seat the bullet inside a casing where it's it's that micro adjustable and you can get that kind of consistency yeah yeah once you get that load you constantly that that'll be your load for that gun that's what it'll like and eventually you know after so many hundred rounds you might have to you know change your seating depth just a little bit just to get it to start grouping back but yeah it's, it's a lot of work i mean I probably put several hundred rounds through my 338 before I I felt comfortable that I could take a thousand yard shot with it. And when you are taking a thousand yard shot now, give me an idea of what what are you setting up as a target that you would feel confident taking a thousand yard shot? Because an elk is one thing, a moose is is another thing. You know, you, you've got an 18 to 20 inch target zone. When you're shooting in a blacktail you don't have a 20 inch target zone. No. So what would be kind of a maximum range that you would consider being, and, and I, I realize you're starting to deal with everybody can throw in their opinion and ethics of like, that's not hunting or, you know, taking that kind of shot, you know, you're just going to maim and hurt animals. Yeah. I'm, I'm of the opinion, like what, what does the law say? What have you practiced to? If you took me to the woods right now and told me, look, I've got this gun dialed. I could set the turrets and you could take an 800 yard shot. I would not take an 800 yard shot because I haven't practiced to take an 800 yard shot. And that would be my own ethical boundaries. I'm not imposing any ethical boundaries on you saying you shouldn't be taking those shots, but I want to know what do you practice to? And in order for you to feel confident shooting at a blacktail, when you've got potentially some adrenaline in your body, when you have multiple variables with weather, wind, uh, barometric pressure, all those things, Altitude, what factors every... into your confidence level before you're willing to pull the trigger? Like I say, it's just what it boils down to is the practice. If, if you're not practicing, like I say, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't try to even consider pulling off that shot. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I do miss, you know, just like anybody else, but, uh, certainly I do have the confidence when I do try to pull off that shot, that it's, it's, going to be knock on wood a one-shot kill knowing that and knowing that you're set up and you've done the practice and the research to be able to be successful at those long ranges what has been the longest shot that you have taken uh, at a blacktail uh on a blacktail was most of most of my blacktail are usually right around the 500 600 yard mark uh i have i have shot an elk at 711 and I shot a, a bear last year at 755. Unbelievable. Would you say prior to the last seven or eight years when you didn't have necessarily the long range setup, were you still taking shots at 500 yards or in the last few years with reloading, with the setups that you have, that's opened the door for you to take five to 600 yard shots? I don't know if you can see this buck behind me. Yeah, you got a beautiful deer behind that you. That one was before I started long range. That's what kind of got me into it. But that's a 150-inch blacktail. That's giant. That was the old Hail Mary, you know, before you had target knobs and stuff. It was just hold high hold and, high and pull hope. the trigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's really what got me into it because, you know, for me, uh, if you're trying to do that long, long of a shot, it's to make – the most ethical shot for the animal that you can and having that ability to range it, set the dial and know that your, your gun's going to hit exactly where you're holding. That's, that's what makes it a big positive for me. And prior to some of the long range equipment that you have, did you miss 
more deer or do you find that with some of the new equipment and feeling more confident about longer distance, you're shooting longer distances. So now you're, you're actually missing more now than you did before, or has there been relatively no change over the last several years? Uh, I, you know, like I say, I'm, I'm only human. I still miss now just probably as much as I did before, but, uh, I try not to, <laughs> I mean, you, you do definitely have a, a bigger advantage now than, than I ever did before. Like I say, before it was, you know, you had buck fever and it was spray and pray, you know, you know, you see a big four point running off and it's like, you're young and you just start rolling, rolling the bolt, trying to, trying to get it before it gets away. Yeah. You know, you, back then I'd go through a couple boxes of shells during hunt season, you know, just because <laughs> I was young, young and dumb, you know, but now usually, and you know, unless some other, uh, somebody else is using my rifle, it's usually one bullet and then I I'm done. Now, when you take other people out, how many of the people that you take out are using your equipment? Uh, most, most of the time, everybody has their own equipment, but, uh, there's a couple of them that used my equipment last year. And that was the first time, uh, Hunter, which was my son's girlfriend. She had never, never tried shooting anything and she wanted to try shooting a deer. So we set her up on a 400 yard shot on a little, little three point and she was tickled to death with it. But, you know, I, the way it was bedded, I told her to stick the crosshairs right on its neck and she pulled the trigger and that's all she wrote. No way. And she had spent very little time prior to that ever shooting a gun. First time she ever pulled the trigger. No way. Yeah. And she shot successfully for a 400 yard shot. In the neck. That type of experience is just unheard of. You know, like people that grew up when we were growing up as kids couldn't even imagine somebody taking a 400-yard shot on their first shot and hitting anywhere near the target. I mean, that speaks volumes to the scopes, the rifles, the, the bullets, you know, the combination of everything working together now that gives, that gives us as modern hunters such a tremendous advantage over what people were using just a decade ago. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how far, and it's only probably going to keep going, you know? I think we've also seen, we've already seen a little bit of the extension of it in Garrett, Weaver, and Crayson's scopes that they got from Vortex this year. Seeing a scope that's a 6 to 36 power scope, that's more than my spotting scope. Like I had my, <laughs> I, I had like a, a SIG Oscar spotting scope. This is like a little monocular. It's a 10 by 20, I believe. And then I've got another, you know, that I think is a 20 to 45. And it's like, you're, you're basically putting a spotter on top of a rifle now and to get 36 power magnification out. It's just unbelievable. And I, I do believe that just opens doors you know, for us to continue to be able to take both longer shots, but also more ethical shots. Yeah. yeah and like you say, I don't always shoot that far, you know, but, it, but if it ever boils down to it and I have the opportunity, I won't pass it up. Now, I want to hit on a couple things before we kind of wrap up, but when did you download the Huntley Gap? Maybe a couple of weeks before spring bear season started. So yeah, it's probably March. Okay. So you downloaded the app probably in March. You used it during your spring bear hunt. You started your season. I mean, I think one of the first posts I saw of spring bear this year was a bear at about 25 yards from you. Yeah, that was opening day. Opening day, you had a bear at 25 yards. What happened there? Because did you finish your season this year without harvesting a bear? No, we. Uh, I wound up taking one, uh, I think, four days before hunting season was over. But I had... Uh... I had one bear and I hunted that bear for almost 50 days straight. And that was not the bear you took though. No. Yeah. Cause I I've seen pictures of the tank bear and I knew that's what you were chasing. And you kind of had told me with 11 days left of the season, you were kind of going to go all in on that bear. And then I remember I never saw that bear on the ground. No, we'd never seen that bear again, but uh, one of my Instagram followers uh, messaged me the day I shot mine or the day before and uh, asked me if he could go bear hunting with me. And I said, absolutely. Let's, let's go. So we went, went out the next morning and we wound up seeing a sow and this boar. And to me, I thought it was going to be, you know, something special. So I decided to take it with him being there. So this is the story where you hit that bear. Cause I read your hunt log, you know, it's all registering. Now I read your hunt log, you hit the bear. It ran a couple hundred yards down a hill. Is that the one that crawled into like a big piece of dead timber, like a big old log and died inside that log? 
I thought it actually ran down the hill, but after reviewing the camera, it was key cattle in it. And for some reason, 200 yards, head over heels and got a hole in one in that log, I guess. No way. You don't think it climbed in the log trying to hide. You think it tumbled, I guess, inside that log? That rolled on into that log because there was basically where the impact was, was blood. And after that, there was no blood for 200 yards till we found it laying in the log. How long did it take you to find it? Uh, I'd say 10, 15 minutes after we hiked down in there. Okay. So, so not too long. No. So that was not a long recovery. It wasn't just like, man, you're, you're anguishing cause you can't find a blood trail from where you shot it. Did you kind of see roughly where you thought it ended up or did you have to, uh, did it get out of sight? No. Once, once I pulled the trigger, it was a little window there where we seen it kind of start rolling and then it was gone. So you still had to go do some due diligence and kind of figure out where it would have landed. Yeah, well, we tried to replay it on the on the video, but the the kid the kid that was with me he uh, he found out that my muzzle brake on my three thirty eight was a little <laughs> little loud, a little violent. And it made him jump, <laughs> made him jump pretty bad. Yep, I would expect that. And what was the distance that you shot that bear at? Uh, Six hundred seventeen. Unbelievable. So, plus calculating, I think it was a 20, 23 degree angle downhill. So I is it six seventeen? the true distance or is that the angle compensated the, distance the 617 is the true angle i uh compensated in my head for shooting the 23 degree angle so i took it and set it at 600 pulled the trigger okay and uh how many days did you spend hunting bears during spring bear season this year uh almost every single one of them so i think it was 61 days 61 days total I think I probably hunted 59 of those days. Unbelievable. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. That's incredible. Um, I can only imagine. How many bears do you think you spotted over nearly 60-day season? Uh, we wound up seeing 35 bears total. So you saw 35 bears. So you're not seeing a bear every day. but No. Probably, you know, you're are you averaging kind of every other, or when you see them, are you seeing kind of two or three bears at a time because you got a sow and a cub or a sow cub and boar? You know, what would you say your averages were? It was it was probably uh, at least one to one to three a day. I mean, on the average, I mean, there was some nights we seen five or six. Okay, uh, it all depended. And when you say thirty bears over or thirty five bears over the season. Is that 35 unique bears or are you saying 35 kind of sightings where, all right, there's, there's a bear, you know, and, and that's one, but you might see that same bear again. And that's two. No, these were all different. These were all different bears. So you, you believe you saw 35 unique bears. Yeah. Yeah. From one landing that we were sitting on one where the big bear was, I watched uh, 14 different bears move through that, that drainage and the 50 days that really was hunting that big one unbelievable have you heard did that bear survive the spring season or do you know of somebody that may have harvested that one as far as i know he's still alive okay so you've never you've never seen or heard anything since your last sighting when was the last time you saw that bear he was clear in april so it was the beginning of season and i was on that landing from the very beginning to the end so how big do you think that bear was uh, definitely 400 pounds. If you can, if you can get a black bear around the 400 pound mark, you're, you're doing good. Cause like I say, most of the bears around here, you know, usually the 150, 200 pound range is what people are going to pull the trigger on. So when we come out there this fall, I'm bringing my son out. This will be really our first, I had a bear tag last year, but I wasn't really hunting bear. It was more an opportunistic hunt, but we've had several conversations back and forth about, you know, do you want to be patient? Is there a specific type of bear that you're looking for? Because he's going to be the one behind the gun kind of as we get started. And, uh, you know, are you going to be picky or not picky? And so we've kind of been having those internal debates. And I'm pretty sure he's landed on if it's a bear and it's legal, that's the one that I'm going to take. Yeah. <laughs> it, or it's, it's a bear, it's legal, and it's within a comfortable shooting range. And right now, that shooting range is within 300 yards. So we've got a little bit of work to do, 
you know, Garrett saying, hey, make sure you're prepared for potentially a four or 500 yard shot. So we've actually been kind of setting up our rifles and, and, you know, I think, I think we're actually going to go to the range tomorrow and get a little bit of practice time in because we want to get that consistency. We just bought one of those little Mantis X trigger type trainers. Like it's a little thing that you can mount to your gun. It gives you feedback on everything that you're doing right before you pull the trigger to right after you pull the trigger. So it can tell you like, you know, are you squeezing it? Are you, are you slapping the trigger? What, you know, what's actually happening in your (laughs) shot process to try to clean it up. Don't ask me if that's really going to improve things for us, but we're going to give it a try and uh, do everything we can. Anything will help. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. It's like, JJ, we don't have a whole lot of time before this, you know, kind of once in a lifetime hunt that we're going to get together. So you know, let's, let's do everything we can to be fully prepared. Um, do you have any advice that you would just give to me and my son before we head into our first black bear hunt, uh, this fall? I would definitely say hunt the berry patches. If there is any bring your, your hunting, uh, grassy cliffy units or whatever, you know, uh, fall, you're definitely want to hit the berry patches. Any blackberry patches, huckleberry patches, uh, black cat patches, we used to have one unit in the fall that we used to hunt. There wasn't hardly any units around for miles. It was like a bear sanctuary. We pulled up there one day and me and my buddy, and there was nine bears in this unit at one time. Oh my goodness. And, uh, back before e-tagging and all that, you'd have to go to the store and get your tag and well, the Idlewild store, which is not too far away. You know, we shot two bears, had two bears down, ran down, got our Southwest additional ran back up there and shot two more bears. <laughs> so, we, so we had four bears down in a single and day. Still, and there were still bears out in the unit watching us while we we're getting the bears out. No it was, way. It was insane. Well, I don't have any problems targeting berry patches. And if somebody would point me in the direction of a huckleberry patch, they, I probably will not be hunting much. I'll probably just be sitting like the bears, just feasting, gorging. Cause Man, if you can put me near huckleberries, I can't help myself. I love eating those things. <laughs> so hopefully hopefully there's not some kind of forestry permit to eat huckleberries because I, I might find myself in violation of eating too many huckleberries when I'm in Oregon. Oh, I'm I'm sure you're only allowed a pound or something. <laughs> knowing, the gover- knowing the government. Yeah, they're going to find you somehow. We need to take a stool sample. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, man, this has been fun. I, I didn't realize we were going to jump into the long range and, you know, some of the different shooting stuff that you've done, but I really appreciate you taking the time, jumping on, introducing yourself. Everybody that's listening right now needs to know that uh, if Josh is in this Outdoors of the Year competition, you're up against some stiff competition because the dude is spending some time in the woods and he's helping a lot of other people find success. He's not a selfish hunter. He's out there helping new hunters. And uh, man, I, I want to thank you for just sharing some of your experience with us, but also the way that you shared your experiences this year with the Huntley community by you know sharing hunt logs on the community page and the leagues page. All of that stuff, it truly is inspiring. Uh, I've spent several hours with my son looking through hunt logs this year from different people hunting in different states, just learning and seeing different experiences, getting an understanding of what time of day people are seeing stuff, helping us set kind of expectations like, okay, if we go, you know, this is kind of what a day might look like. You might only see one or two things. The thing that you see might be fifteen or 1,600 yards away, which then you have to make a decision. Are we going to hike to it? Or are we going to sit here and hope for something else to come in closer? So we've been able to have all those debates just by watching some of the content and some of the hunt logs that you've posted. Uh, It's helped us have those conversations, which I believe is going to help him become a better outdoorsman, marksman, uh, and hunter. So thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. No, thank you guys. Like I say, everybody on the hunt lake has been helpful for me. You know, when I first started, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So had a couple people on the hunt lake reach out to me, especially you, you know, to try to walk me through it. So it was awesome. Now I'm going to have to do a couple like tutorial uh, zoom calls or things like that, just to help people get a better hang of it. Cause I think once you get the hang of it, you'll, you'll people find like, man, this tool actually does quite a bit more than you think it does kind of at the beginning. And, and it has a lot of uses, you know, for mentoring, for helping, you know, preserve your stories. And, uh, I think one of the things that was eye opening for both Grayson and Garrett using it last year was even just getting a better understanding of how many days you're actually spending in the field 
how many days that you're unsuccessful. I always share the success hunts and that's the ones that you want to show people. But a lot of times what I end up reviewing are the unsuccessful hunts and looking through things and going, man, what, what could I have done different in this situation or this situation? Or man, I've spent a lot of time doing this and I'm not finding success when I do that. So maybe I should either look at a different area or change my tactics. And, you know, some of the unsuccessful things that I've been able to log, I feel like have actually helped me the most. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I first started, I didn't log any of my unsuccessful stuff. I was like, well, people only want to see animals. So I, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't logging anything. So I was like, yep. That's because so we live in an Instagram world. You know, like we live in like the Instagram world where you only post like the, the celebrity moments and the, the kill shots or this or that. And it's like, you know, Hunt League really isn't built around like that. It's it's really like, no, we want to capture the story of everything that went into that season. We want to know like how many days did you actually spend in the woods and how many animals did you see over that time? And, you know, because that's the real story of a hunt that you can't really capture in an Instagram video or even in a YouTube kind of conglomerate highlight video. It, it does something unique and special there. And that's what I'm excited when people start to flip the switch because they just think of it as like a social media platform to go and, oh, this is this is a journal. This does something different. Um, you know, I think that's going to be yeah, that's, pretty cool. That's what I that's what I found out neat about it was, you know, just going through your whole day and just you know, kind of lining everything out and then, you know, going on other people's and just seeing how their day went. It was, it was, it was neat. I think as the Huntley community continues to grow, we're going to see a lot more just fun stories. We're, we're going to be kind of inundated with walking through other people's hunt logs. And I think that's going to be really, really fascinating uh, here in the near future. Um, well, Josh, thanks again for your time tonight. It's already getting late for, for both of us. So uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing with the Huntley community your season and sharing with everybody listening to this podcast just a little bit more about who you are. It gives them an idea of the the competition they're up against. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on here. It's it was a first time for me, so it was it was pretty fun. If hunting the Oregon coast sounds like a dream hunt, then I'd like to invite you to participate in the On Point Experience League. One lucky hunter will be selected to go on a filmed bear hunt in the fall of 2023. You will get to hunt with last year's Western Hunter champion, Garrett Weaver, along with Colby Moorhead, the bear tech himself from Bear Hunting Magazine, Nick Bluff from Vortex Optics, and myself, Several amazing sponsor companies have also contributed to the prize package. So special thanks to Exo Mountain Gear, First Light, WorkSharp, Axle Hearing Protection, Western Fly Covers, Pyro Putty, and Velvet Antler Technologies for supporting the Hunt League community. Thanks again for listening to the Hunt League podcast, and best of luck as you head to the field this year.